Hello and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hello. I was just uh, noticing your nail color. Oh, mm. it's a pretty gray it's color. Grayish yeah. Of some sort. Well, it's fall Very now. fall? Yeah. It's fall. <laughs> I, know. I had to put away all of my hot pinks and reds Ugh. and pull out like the deep purples and forest greens yes as one does sweaters sweaters oh my gosh scarves scarves yes socks Socks. lots of layers to hide stuff yeah (laughs) oh i want to show you my socks oh show me your socks okay Okay, here you go the live reveal (laughs) okay on the pike oh here you go just put them up what is this oh my god they're rosalind effing franklin socks where did you get those mod cloth oh my god they're rosalind they're rosalind fucking franklin socks they have her portrait looking like a badass on the ankle portion. And then the rest are DNA strands and microphones, microphones, yeah. microscopes, microscopes. And what's this? Uh-huh. What's this That's thing? the X photograph. Oh, the X photograph. That's amazing. Ooh, we should link to that. Are they still for sale or did you get those yeah. recently? Nice. Yeah. Those are good. Rosalind effing Franklin socks. I'm so happy. We those are great. Them. And you're really going to wear the hell out of those this oh, winter. Oh, sure thing. Yeah. You know what's coming up? For, What's coming up? for me and for you, my wedding. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's Cause, true. Because you're in it. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, my, can I write that down somewhere? It should be written down somewhere. I just put it on the calendar, to be honest. TBH <laughs> at home. Hmm. Yeah. I just wrote get married on the 20th. So, so yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm getting married, guys. <laughs> uh, by the time you hear this, I will not be married yet, but I will be very close to it. I will still be crawling toward it. People keep asking me like, oh, so you ready? I'm like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like, are you stressed out? I'm like, no, I'm not actually. Which makes me worried that maybe I should oh, be yeah, stressed out. Oh, yeah, you should be super stressed out. What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. About what? Tell uh, me why. It'll just all hit you at once. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Julia. <laughs> Is there something no one is telling me? No, people are telling you. You should be stressed out. <laughs> I mean, I imagine the, the week before is going to be a lot. I, I, okay. That's why I took the week off. Because yeah. I, I, there's a lot of last minute stuff that needs to be done. But my dress is done. My jewelry is done. We got a DJ. We got food. We got decorations. What am I missing? I mean, Steve is going to be there. Hopefully. Oh, boy. Now I'm, now I'm stressed now out. Now you're stressed out. <laughs> I'm stressed out because I'm worried. I put the fear into you. So yeah, you put the fear into me. If you're, if you're, um, if you're anxious about something, you're more likely to to catch things before they happen. Okay. You know what am like, I supposed just to be always ca- be aware, be prepared. Well, what am I? What am I catching? Anything could happen. Oh my god, ninjas! Like, is Steve gonna turn into Tornadoes. a werewolf? <laughs> um, Kidnapping. Pl- please tweet at me, please. Uh, tweet at Miss Infopod and let me know Your what you could vanish overnight. <laughs> you know what? I was concerned. Your caterer could abscond with your money. Well, first of all, I don't have a caterer. It's the same thing. It's the the, the venue and the caterer are the same person, the same space. So I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tweet at me at Miss Infopod and let me know what I should be worrying about because I'm not wholly convinced that. I didn't say you should be worried. I just said you should be stressed. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. So, <laughs> so speaking of stressful situations, <laughs> not not at all. Um, so we got a request 
um, to do a topic. Yes. And one of them was uh, Secret Societies. I believe it was Kathleen. Yeah. Kathleen asked us, shout out to Kathleen, super listener, Kathleen, uh, asked us to do an episode on Secret Societies. And Julia was like, Lauren, you can have that. Well, we talked about it before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we talked about it before. Um, And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. So, um, So what I decided to do is, because Secret Societies and fraternal organizations have a little bit of overlap. Sure. So... Uh, I'm calling my topic, uh, my two-part series called Tiny Cars and the New World Order, Fraternal Organizations and Secret Societies, Part Uno. (laughs) That's a great title. Isn't it a great title? It's from academia. You know, it's always like, Mm -hmm. blue, 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 colon, colon, blah, 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 and bebelly-doo. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you get double colon. Sometimes you get a double colon. Sometimes you get a semicolon. Oh, I love a semicolon. Oh, a semicolon. Best punctuation mark. Because it's softer than a period, mm-hmm. but harder than a comma. I use it as a super comma every day All of my the life. time. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you can continue a thought without it being too harsh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, we should do an entire episode on semicolons. Punctuation eh, It in would general. be very short. It would be. It would be. <laughs> These are be- the five punctuation marks. <laughs> this is what they look like. We're going to describe them in great detail. This is Enjoy when you this use quiz. them. <laughs> Here's a quiz. Here's a quiz on dots. <laughs> anyway, okay. <clears throat> so first I'm going to define what a secret society is. All right. As per usual, I'm going to run a definition by you. And then you can <laughs> use that as the framework by which you're understanding this topic this oh, evening. Thank you for explaining this of course. to me. I work for an art museum now. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything is very academic yes. in my life. I'm a very serious person now. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Okay, here we go. A secret society is a club or an organization whose activities, events, inner functioning, or membership are concealed from non-members. Great. Pretty self-explanatory. The society may or may not attempt to conceal its existence. The term usually excludes covert groups such as intelligence agencies or guerrilla insurgencies that hide their activities and memberships but maintain a public presence. The exact qualifications for labeling a group as a secret society are disputed, but definitions generally rely on the degree to which the organization insists on secrecy and might involve the retention and transmission of secret knowledge, the denial about membership or knowledge of the group, the creation of personal bonds between members of the organization, and the use of secret rites or rituals which solidify members of the group. Uh, Anthropologically and historically, secret societies have been deeply interlinked with the concept of the manabund, which is the all-male warrior band or warrior society of pre-modern cultures uh, defined. Will you spell that word for me? Uh, M-A with an umlaut over it. N-N-E-R-B-U-N-D. Manabund. Wow. Uh, Alan Axelrod, author of the International Encyclopedia of Secret Societies and Fraternal Orders, defines a secret society as an organization that is exclusive, claims to own special secrets, shows a strong inclination to favor its members. Oh, man, then I'm in like eight of them. Exactly. Well, there's further <laughs> definitions of this. David V. Barrett, author of Secret Societies, colon, from the ancient and arcane to the modern and clandestine, have used alternative terms to define what qualifies as secret society. He defined it as any group that possesses the following characteristics. It has carefully graded and progressed teachings. Teachings are available only to selected individuals. Teachings lead to hidden and, quote-unquote, unique truths. 
Uh, truths bring personal beliefs beyond the reach and even the understanding of the uninitiated. Barrett goes on to say that a further characteristic common to most of them is the practice of rituals, which non-members are not permitted to observe or even to know the existence of. Right. Right. So it's somewhere between a fun club and a cult. That's where a secret society lies. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. okay. So in the, in the continuum of dangerousness... You got your TM, TM, the continuum of dangerousness. Copyright LT. Uh, at the top of, at the front of the continuum, you got your, uh, you know, boys club in a in a treehouse. Okay. No girls yeah, allowed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Spelled A L O U D. And then at the other end is like uh, Scientology. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Secret societies in general kind of lie around the middle portion. Continuum of the- danger. <laughs> the continuum of danger. I love it. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning of the continuum. Okay. Uh, with the loyal order of the moose. Or, or loom, as they are known. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Apparently they call themselves loom. All right. Loyal order of moose was founded in Louisville, Kentucky in the spring of 1888 by Dr. John Henry Wilson. Originally intended as purely a men's social club, lodges were soon founded in Cincinnati, Ohio, St. Louis, Missouri, and Crawfordsville, and Frankfurt, Indiana. The early order was not prosperous. Dr. Wilson himself was dissatisfied and left the order of the moose before the turn of the century. When Albert C. Stevens was compiling his Cyclopedia of Fraternities in the late 1890s, he was unable to ascertain whether it was still in existence. But don't worry. In the fall of 1906, the order had only two Indiana lodges remaining. On October 27th of that year, James J. Davis became the 247th member of the order. Davis was a Welsh immigrant who had come to the U.S. as a youth and worked as an iron puddler in the steel mills of Pennsylvania and an active labor organizer. He later was Secretary of Labor in the Harding administration. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Welsh boy makes good. Oh, yeah. No, he made real good because he saw the order as a way to provide a social safety net for a working class membership. He used low annual membership fees of about 10 to $15, which is equivalent to about 270 to $410 in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after giving a rousing address to the seven delegates of the 1906 Moose National Convention. All seven. All, all seven, seven delegates. delegates. Yep. He gave a rousing address. So he shouted in seven dudes faces for, I'm assuming, 45 minutes. <laughs> That's, I think, less attendees than TimeCon. I mean, TimeCon's coming back. <laughs> TimeCon will have at least a dozen by 2020 or I will eat my shoe. Anyway. He was appointed supreme organizer of the order after the, his rousing speech. They were like, <laughs> they were like, well, you're the only one that wants to organize. Apparently, this. you're, you're the only now. one enthusiastic mm-hmm. enough. So Davis and a group of organizers set out to recruit members and establish lodges throughout the U.S. and Canada. Uh, he was quite successful, and the order grew to nearly half a million members in a thousand lodges by 1912. So in six years, he got a ton of guys. Let's be honest, it's guys. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, to join. So uh, the loyal order of moose. Local units are called lodges. State groups are state associations. And the national authority is the Supreme Lodge of the World, which meets annually. Uh, in 1923, there were 1,669 lodges promulgated in every civilized country controlled by the Caucasian race. Yikos. Uh, in 1966, 3,500 lodges were reported in every U.S. state, Guam, Canada, Bermuda, and England. 
1979, the order had 36 state associations and over 4,000 lodges. Today, it has 1,800 lodges in all 50 states and four Canadian provinces, as well as Bermuda and the United Kingdom. The entire membership is sometimes referred to as the Moose Domain. Yeah. Do we know why they picked the moose? Um, I don't know why. Large and majestic. I think just because it's a large and majestic um, animal. Because there's also the elks. Yeah, there's the elks. Is there other... There's... Is there a reindeer one? It just seems to be like large <laughs> game only, animals. That's only up at the North Pole. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Royal Order of the Loyal Order of Reindeer. Okay. Um, the National Moose Lodge bylaws restricted membership to male Caucasians. What a surprise. In 1972, a member invited K. Leroy Irvis to visit a lodge in Pennsylvania as a guest. Uh, the lodge dining room refused to serve Irvis on account of his race. He was a black man. Irvis sued the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board in federal court, arguing that the issuance of a liquor license to an organization with racially discriminatory policies constituted an illegal state action. Oh, interesting. That is interesting. Um, he actually ended up being, K. Leroy Irvis ended up representing, was a, in the House of Representatives for Pennsylvania oh, for wow. a long time and became Speaker of the House of Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. Um Unfortunately, the case was ultimately appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which ruled that since the Moose Lodge was a private organization, it had a right to practice racial discrimination. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. Hmm. But, I mean, K. Leroy Irvis did not stop there. He went, he was a civil rights leader and went all the way to the top. Wow. So he's fine. But that was bad, bad look for the Moose. I'll find another club to hang out with. Yeah. A, one that's cool. Anyway. At the 1911 convention in Detroit, James J. Davis, who is now Director General of the Order, recommended that the Loom acquire property for an institute, school, or college that would be a homeschooling and vocational training for the orphans of Loom members. What year is this? This is 1911. Okay. Uh, the name Moose Heart had been adopted for the school and was dedicated on July 27, 1913. Vice President Thomas R. Marshall gave a speech for the occasion. Uh, while Mooseheart began as a school, it soon grew to become a small incorporated village and hub of the organization, housing the headquarters of the Loom, as well as the Women of the Moose, which is the women's end of the Loyal Order women of the Moose. Of the Moose. Mm-hmm. Uh, the population of Mooseheart would grow to 1,000 by 1920 and reach a peak of 1,300 during the Great Depression and go down to approximately 500, the campus's current maximum capacity in 1979. Uh, in addition to Mooseheart, the Loom also runs a retirement center, Moose Haven, <laughs> located in Orange Park, Florida. I believe Mooseheart is in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, this project was inaugurated in the autumn of 1922 with 26 acres of property and 22 retired Moose residents. It has grown to a 63-acre community with over 400 residents. So there's a bunch of old moose. You go to Del Boca Vista. Uh, yeah. I mean, Orange Moose Park, Haven. Florida. That's a, that's a good pub. That's, that's old people central if, as far as I know. Um, so as far as rituals go, go, the moose are a little boring. Hate okay. to say, uh, they do what's known as the nine o'clock ceremony where all moose are directed to face toward moose heart with bowed heads and folded arms and repeat a silent prayer. Uh, James Davis drew up the initiation ritual for the order. It is relatively short, usually taking 45 minutes. It's basically a couple, couple prayers and a pledge to uphold the moose. That's it. Um, however, there was an incident incident an incident early on in the order that was very dramatic and it was known as the gustin kenny incident and i'm going to tell you about Mm. it right now so the moose rituals took a tragic turn on july 24th 1913 (laughs) 
when two candidates for membership, Donald A. Kenny and Christopher Gustin, died during an incident at their initiation ceremony in Birmingham, Alabama. Of course, Alabama. Kenny was the president of the local chauffeur's union, and Gustin was an iron molder. Both men were made to look upon a red-hot emblem of the order, then blindfolded, disrobed, and had a chilled rubber version of the emblem applied to their chests, while a magneto was attached to their legs and an electric current was applied to them by a (gasps) wire to their shoulders. So the aim was evidently to make them believe that they were being branded, but both the men fainted, but as it was thought that they were feigning... The lodge officers did not stop the initiation until it was evident that the two were dying and the lodge physician was unable to revive them. So they got electrocuted. They got, they were electrocuted and they thought that they were like a bunch of fakers and they (laughs) let them die. I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but it was like over a hundred years ago. So they don't do that anymore. (laughs) Thankfully. Wow. Um, Okay. So aside from that, black mark on the Mm -hmm. long and illustrious history of the loyal order of moose Uh, they have historically supported numerous charitable and civic activities Uh, it has sponsored medical research for muscular dystrophy cerebral palsy cancer and cardiology as well as the march of dimes Uh, it has also supported boy scout and girl scout programs Um, famous members include four u.s presidents warren g harding fdr teddy roosevelt and ya boy harry s truman my boy uh, astronauts Gene Cernan and Gus Grissom, and athletes Larry Bird and Arnold Palmer, whose name is very hard to say. Also, Abbott and Costello were members, Charlie Chaplin, Jimmy Stewart, and of course, your friend and mine, that asshole Henry Ford. This is a long list of white guys. Oh, it's just, oh my God, it's a sea of white Do you know if men. they're still all... Uh, no, white. they they incorporated, they have Women of the Moose, which is a separate but equal... <laughs> shouldn't have said that uh a separate group um that has the same laws and bylaws and Mm -hmm. everything and they do this the same charitable stuff um and uh i think they do allow people of all race creed color to now be a member of the loyal order of the moose great and if you you go to drink at one of their places there is always a big moose head on the wall yeah i mean because if i know anything about the loyal order of moose they are not subtle so next we're going to move a little farther up in the continuum of dangerous <laughs> of danger and we're going to go to the freemasons okay all Great. right freemasonry the teachings and practices of the secret fraternal men only order of free and accepted masons is the largest worldwide secret society still in existence Uh, Freemasonry evolved from the guilds of stonemasons and cathedral builders of the Middle Ages. And with the decline of cathedral building, some lodges of operative masons began to accept honorary members to bolster their declining membership. Uh, From a few of these lodges developed modern, symbolic, or speculative Freemasonry, which particularly in the 17th and 18th centuries adopted the rites and trappings of ancient religious orders and of chivalric brotherhoods. Um, in 1717, the first Grand Lodge, an association of lodges, was founded in England. So the first incarnation of like Freemasonry okay. as we know it or don't know it uh, started in 1717 in England. Um, so it's silly. Like it's so silly. All of these fraternal organizations are just like, it's like boys club, like little boys clubs. Okay. Like they have their little rights and they're like whisper whispers and like they have their fancy clothes. They wear like their fancy clothes and like you can't tell anybody. And like it's, it's like in reading this and doing my research on this, it's very silly. It's 
I mean, some of it's scarier than others, but overall, it's just like a silly boys right. clubhouse thing to be like, I want to go and complain about my wife and like ostracize black people. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> <I> wanna, <laughs> well, as a former sorority member. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, I could see that if you've never been in an organization like that, that you that that would be your just immediate reaction but it's there's a lot more that goes on i guess so but did you dress in proto oriental uh costumes yeah i mean i i see the benefit of being in an organization like a fraternity or a sorority Mm -hmm. you have connections and networking and you get perks and it's cool that's i don't have any problems with that i don't (laughs) i have problems with fraternities who are like drunken yeah. assholes and that kind of thing of course but i i went to syracuse i'm not unfamiliar with the greek system but this i mean it's harmless mm-hmm. but this just seems like silliness because they're they have rituals and like proto-orientalist like costumes and like that's supposed to harken back to an ancient culture that didn't oh, actually sure. exist Do you like know what i mean druids yeah right yeah mm-hmm. like druids mm-hmm. so and it's like sort of religious, but sort of not. I mean, I'll get into it, but it's like it originally Freemasonry was a benefit to Masons because they had like, it was like a union basically yeah. to keep them together and help each other out in, within their, um, their businesses. Mm-hmm. But now it's just, it's just a bunch of rich guys pretending like they're, you know, that they're pagans. You know what I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of goofy. One of my very good friends, Lloyd, may he rest, uh, before he died, he, we were, I was joking about Masons and he was like, I'm a Mason. And I said, no, you're not. And he's like, I am. And I was like, I'm going to need to see some ID. And he had a card with like the, um, like the compass yep. and the stone, like the little trowel yeah. or whatever. I was like, oh my God, are you going to kill me? <laughs> and he laughed. Um, but at his funeral, um, they had a Mason, like a, a Freemason, like ceremony at his funeral, okay. and that was very cool. Now, um, do you believe him? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lloyd. <laughs> now, I, I believed him at his funeral. It was terrible. Anyway, okay. So there are degrees of Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. You have to rise through the ranks. Yes. So they retain the three grades of medieval craft guilds, which is the, that of apprentice, journeyman, or fellow, which is now Ooh, called... I like it. I know, it's cool. Uh, and it, it's now called fellow craft. And the highest is master mason. Okay. So, uh, the candidate of these three degrees is progressively taught the meanings of the symbols of Freemasonry and entrusted with grips or handshakes, signs, and words to signify to other members that he has been so initiated. So, I was watching A, Mid- a Midsummer Murder... Of course. One of my favorite British TV shows. And uh, apparently there was a whole thing about Masons. And someone like shook somebody's hand. Mm -hmm. And then the other guy walked away. And the guy goes, wow, that guy was a Mason. He was like, how do you know? He was like, he gave me the secret handshake. Uh Um, Which I wonder, like, can you just like look at a guy like, okay, you're a white guy. I'm a white guy. (laughs) I'm going to test this out and give him like the fingers swivel inside. And he's going to be like, I see you, brother. Or he's going to be like, ew, stop doing that. You know, how do you, how do you know to do the secret handshake? Anyway. Um, so you, you get, you get the cooler handshakes as you go up, as you well, rise sure. to ranks. 
Um, so the initiations are part allegorical morality play and part lecture, which sounds so fun. Uh, the three degrees are offered by craft or Blue Lodge Freemasonry. And members of these organizations are known as Freemasons or Masons. Uh, there are additional degrees which vary with locality and jurisdiction and are usually administered by their own bodies separate from those who administer the craft degrees. So what that all means is there are the there's the craft degrees. So what I said before, the apprentice journeyman fellow craft, mm-hmm. master mason. But depending on what like outcropping of Freemasonry you're in, like the Royal Order of the Silver Trowel or the Ancient Order of Druids or whatever, like under right. the umbrella of Freemasonry, there might be a bunch of different like oh, extra okay. steps you have to go through to get from apprentice to journeyman or journeyman mm-hmm. to, you know. So, and that varies from wherever you are and usually it's regional then right yeah it's usually regional so it's it's dependent on where you're at um so as i mentioned in many lodges there are numerous degrees sometimes as many as a thousand superimposed on the three major divisions and these organizational features are not uniform from country to country okay so it's it's kind of a free-for-all in terms of like the in-between steps like they gave you the framework for for what you got to do yes but you can kind of go to town yeah. on the smaller oh, levels. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, they, they really, to their credit, they have a lot of freedom to kind of do whatever they want. It seems like some lodges will take it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And like when you're in the, the lodge, it's very secret, secret. Mm-hmm. And you have to don't do walk across things. the seal. Yeah. And then don't some go- open that door. <laughs> exactly. You know, don't eat this thing. It's poison for just journeymen, you know, like whatever. <laughs> Um, and then others, it's like more like a social club. Mm-hmm. So um, the basic local organizational unit of Freemasonry is the lodge. And the lodges are usually supervised and governed at the regional level, um, usually um, coterminous with either a state, province, or national border, uh, by a grand lodge or grand orient. Uh, there is no international worldwide grand lodge that supervises all of Freemasonry. Um, each Grand Lodge is independent, and they do not necessarily recognize each other as being legitimate. That's another thing. Oh. They're under the same umbrella, but they don't all like play nice. So there's not like a all supreme master master mason that no. is the president of all of the masons. No, there is not a a giant master mason, a grand wizard, if you will, of masons. <laughs> I almost did the KKK, and then I was like, no, those nah, assholes I don't feel like me to talk about them. Yeah. Okay, so. Modern Freemasonry broadly consists of two main recognition groups. Regular Freemasonry insists that the volume of scripture is open in a working lodge and that every member profess belief in a supreme being, that no women are admitted, although in some jurisdictions, those who transition to women after being initiated may stay. Oh, okay. Uh, And that the discussion of religion and politics is banned. Um, Continental Freemasonry is now the general term for the jurisdictions which have removed some or all of these restrictions. Okay. So doesn't have to be religious based or have scripture in there or have to profess to a supreme being, any of that stuff. Um, so spread by the advance of the British Empire, Freemasonry remains most popular in the British Isles and in other countries originally within the empire. So there are Freemasons in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, estimates of the worldwide membership of Freemasonry in the early 20th century ranged from about 2 million to more than 6 million. Um, Freemasonry has almost from its inception encountered considerable opposition from organized religion, especially from the Roman Catholic church Yeah, okay, and from various states. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can see that. I can see that. 
Um, Freemasonry is not a Christian institution, though it has often been mistaken for such. Uh, Freemasonry contains many of the elements of a religion. Its teachings enjoin morality, charity, and obedience to the law of the land. In most traditions, the applicant for admission is required to be an adult male, and all applicants must also believe in the existence of a supreme being and in the immortality of the soul. In practice, some lodges have been charged with prejudice against Jews, Catholics, and non-whites. Uh, generally, Freemasonry in Latin countries has attracted those who question religious dogma or who oppose, oppose the clergy, whereas in the Anglo-Saxon countries, the membership is drawn largely from among white Protestants. Hmm. So a lot of waspy guys in America and Canada and, you know, the so UK. So they don't have to have uh, laid bricks to become a mason. Nope. They could have soft, soft, buttery hands of a lawyer or <laughs> <laughs> or a, a a landed gentryman. Um, yeah, they do not have to lay any brick. Okay. Um, it seems you have to either have a family connection, mm-hmm. um, as my good friend Lloyd did. I think his father was a Mason. Oh, okay. Or you have to like be in a, in a region that's very Mason heavy. It seems because okay. if I was to go out right now and be like, I want to be a Mason, I want to be a lady Mason. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I guess I walk mm -hmm. into a local lodge, I guess. I bet you need to be sponsored. Yeah. I think it's like, as far as recruitment goes, I don't think you can ask to be a Mason. I I think you need to like meet somebody and they're like, hey, you're cool. I'm going to go talk to the guys. See if you can come in. Um, So the modern French tradition founded in the 19th century and known as co-Freemasonry admits both women and men. So very progressive of the French. Uh, Freemasonry describes itself as a beautiful system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. Uh, The symbolism is mainly but not exclusively drawn from the manual tools of stonemasons, the square and the compasses, the level and plumb, the trowel, among others. A moral lesson is attached to each of these tools, although the assignment is by no means consistent. The meaning of the symbolism is taught and explored through ritual. Uh, all Freemasons begin their journey in the craft by being progressively initiated, passed, and raised into the three degrees of craft. Uh, during these three rituals, the candidate is progressively taught the meanings of the lodge symbols and entrusted with grips, signs, and words. Uh, the initiations are part allegory and part lecture and resolve around the c- construction of the Temple of Solomon and the artistry and death of his chief architect, Hiram Abith. Uh, Hiram? Hiram. H-I-R-A-M. Hiram. Hiram Abiff. Uh, I had never heard of him, <laughs> but apparently he was a beautiful architect. Uh, the degrees are those of entered apprentice, fellow craft, and master mason. While many different versions of these rituals exist with at least two different lodge layouts and versions of the Hiram myth, each version is recognizable to any Freemason from any jurisdiction. So that's pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, Aesop's fable. Like yes. everybody has heard a version yeah. of it somewhere. Um. In addition to the main bodies of Freemasonry derived from the British tradition, there are also a number of appendant groups that are primarily social or recreational in character, having no official standing in Freemasonry, but drawing their membership from the higher degrees of the society. Uh, They are especially prevalent in the United States. Among those known for their charitable work are the ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic shrine, also known as the Shriners. The Shriners. I'm going to talk about them next. They're very cute. Uh, In Britain and in certain other countries, there are separate lodges restricted to women. In addition, female relatives of Master Masons may join the Order of the Eastern Star, which is open to both women and men. Boys may join the Order of Demole, or the Order of the Builders. And girls may join the Order of Job's Daughters, or the Order of the Rainbow. 
The I, Order of the Rainbow. The Order of the Rainbow. I think they call themselves rainbows. I could be wrong about that. Um, English Masons are forbidden to affiliate with any of the recreational organizations or quasi-Masonic societies on pain of suspension. <laughs> on pain <laughs> Under of- penalty of suspension. <laughs> I mean, you know, depending on their livelihood, that might be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so the preserved records of the Reich Sisserheit Hauptamt, which is the Reich Security Bless Main you. Office... <laughs> show the persecution of Freemasons during the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, while the number of victims is not accurately known, historians estimate that between 80,000 and 200,000 Freemasons were killed under the Nazi regime. Oh my gosh. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Masonic concentration camp inmates were classified as political prisoners and wore an inverted red triangle. Hitler believed Freemasons had succumbed to Jews conspiring against Germany. Yeah. Whoa. So the small blue forget-me-not flower was first used by the Grand Lodge Zerson in 1926 as a Masonic emblem at the annual convention in Bremen, Germany. In 1938, a forget-me-not badge made by the same factory as the Masonic badge was chosen for the annual Nazi party Winterhilsvirk, the annual charity drive of the National Socialist People's Welfare, the welfare branch of the Nazi party, which I feel like is a little bit of a... It's an oxymoron. Yeah, it's an oxymoron. Um, however, this coincidence enabled Freemasons to wear the forget-me-not badge as a secret sign of membership. Wow. So that was just... So they couldn't keep their compass and their eyeball out, but they could wear the forget-me-not forget because it was not. like accidentally also a Nazi symbol. Exactly. So if anybody asked them, Yikes. are you a Mason? You could be like, oh no, I'm part of that National Socialist People's Welfare Group. So that's me. All right. Sieg Heil, my friend. Yikos. <laughs> Please don't take that out of context. <laughs> Okay. Um, After World War II, the forget-me-not flower was used again as a Masonic emblem in 1948 at the first annual convention of the United Grand Lodges of Germany in 1948. Uh, The badge is now worn in the coat lapel by Freemasons around the world to remember all who suffered in the name of Freemasonry, especially those during the Nazi era. Wow. I didn't realize that that was also part of... I th- I think I've heard I I heard that like you know in the list of the the long list of people that the Nazis oh, persecuted right. it was like you know Jews gypsies homosexuals Freemasons and like they just kind of got mm-hmm. buried mm-hmm. Um, but yeah that's uh, it is more than I was expecting wow. eighty thousand to two hundred thousand is I mean any amount of people being right. murdered by a government is terrible but um, it was a lot and it's not. It's kind of an unsung thing mm-hmm. in terms of the Holocaust. Wow. Um, so finally, I'm going to close on those adorable Shriners. Okay. It has a funny little initiation story too. Okay. In 1870, there were several thousand Masons in Manhattan, many of whom lunched at the Knickerbocker Cottage at a special table on the second floor. There, the idea of a new fraternity for Masons stressing fun and fellowship was discussed. Walter M. Fleming, M.D., and William J. Florence took the idea seriously enough to act upon it. Florence, a world-renowned actor while on tour in Marseille, was invited to a party given by an Arabian diplomat. Uh, The entertainment was something in the nature of an elaborately staged musical comedy, and at its conclusion, the guests became members of a secret society. Ta-da! Yeah. (laughs) Now you're you're, a member. Now you're a member. That'll be $500 in dues, please. (laughs) Every year for the rest of your life. Uh, Florence took copious notes and drawings at his initial viewing, and on two other occasions, he loved this performance. Mm. Oh, he loved it. 
Um, and once in Algiers and once in Cairo. He actually followed this like theatrical troupe for a little while. Uh, when he returned to New York in 1870, he showed his material to Fleming. Fleming created the ritual, emblem, and costumes. And Florence and Fleming were initiated August 13th, 1870, and initiated 11 other men on June 16th, 1871. The group adopted a Middle Eastern theme <laughs> and soon established temples, though the term temple has now been generally replaced by shrine auditorium or shrine center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first temple established was Mecca Temple, now known as Mecca Shriners, established at the New York City Masonic Hall on September 26th, 1872. Fleming was the first potentate. Uh, in 1875, there were only 43 Shriners in the organization, and in an effort to encourage membership at the June 6th, 1876 meeting of Mecca Temple, the Imperial Grand Council of the Ancient Order of the Nobles of the Mystic Shrine for North America was created. Wow. Yeah. F- uh, Fleming was elected the first Imperial Potentate. <laughs> I love this. Uh, after some other reworking by 1878, there were 425 members in 13 temples in eight states. And by 1888, there were 7,210 members in 48 temples in the United States and Canada. Uh, by the Imperial Session held in Washington, D.C. in 1900, there were 55,000 members in 82 temples. So they had to be a Mason. I, yeah, you had to be a Mason. You're a Mason, and then this is just like a special this booster is a, pack yeah, for the Masons. The, this is the fun booster pack. <laughs> like the fun for the guys. Here's that, your expansion pack. <laughs> exactly. For the guys who were like, Mason, being a Mason is cool and all, but I need something more fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> they join the Shriners. <laughs> so um, by 1938, the heyday of Shrining, uh, there are about 340,000 members in the United States. It's pretty uh, good. Yeah. That year, Life magazine published photographs of its rights for the first time. It described the Shriners as, quote, among secret lodges and the number one in prestige, wealth, and show, and stated that in the typical city, especially in the Middle West, the Shriners will include most of the prominent citizens. Hmm. Cool. So the Shriners are still around. Uh, their charitable arm is the Shriners Hospital for Children, which is a network of 22 hospitals in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. In June 1920, the Imperial Council session voted to establish a Shriners Hospital for Crippled Children. Uh, the purpose of this hospital was to treat orthopedic injuries, diseases, and birth defects in children. And after much research and debate, the committee chosen to determine the site of the hospital decided there should not be just one hospital, but a network of hospitals spread across North America. Uh, the first hospital was opened in 1922 in Shreveport, Louisiana, and by the end of the decade, 13 more hospitals were in operation. Uh, Shriners Hospitals now provide orthopedic care, burn treatment, cleft lip and palate care, and spinal cord injury rehabilitation. Um, the rules for all the Shriner Hospitals are simple and to the point. Any child under the age of 18 can be admitted to the hospital if, in the opinion of doctors, the child can be treated. Mm-hmm. There is no requirement for religion, race, or relationship to a Shriner. Um, until June 2012, all care at Shriners Hospitals were provided without charge to patients and their families. At the time, because the size of their endowment had decreased due to losses in the stock market, Shriners Hospitals started billing patients insurance companies but still offered free care to children without insurance and waives all out-of-pocket cost insurance does not cover. Aww. In 2008, Shriners Hospitals had a total budget of $826 million. In 2007, they approved 39,454 new patient applications and attended to the needs of 125,125 patients. Aww. Isn't that sweet? 
Um, the parade unit. Yeah. Yeah. Most Shrine for it. <laughs> yeah. Most Shrine Temple supports several parade units. These units are responsible for promoting a positive Shriner image to the public by participating in local parades. The parade units often include miniature cars powered by lawnmower engines, and the driver's skill are demonstrated during parades with high-speed spin-outs. <laughs> Uh, they also host the annual East-West Shrine Game, which is a college football all-star game. Um, once a year, the fraternity meets for the Imperial Council session in a major North American city. Let's be honest, it's probably Vegas. Uh, <laughs> it is not uncommon for these conventions to have 20,000 participants or more, which generates significant revenue for the local economy. And this blew my mind. Many shrine centers also hold a yearly shrine circus as a fundraiser. I used to go to the shrine circus. Yeah. I thought, I didn't realize it was connected with the Shriners. Oh. I thought it was just like some guy's name, like Bill Shrine oh, and his circus. like Barnum and Billy and Shrine Circus. Exactly. The Shrine Circus would come to Buffalo <laughs> every year and we would go and watch it until my dad Aww. got sick of circuses. <laughs> I could see that happening yeah, really no, he's quickly. Not a fan of spectacle. <laughs> he finds it really offensive. But did you mention what they wear on their heads? They wear fezes. Those beautiful red hats with the gold tassel. They're so much fun. The Shriners are great. Um, so that is uh, my first part. The light and airy part of uh, Tiny Cars in the New World Order, part one. <laughs> Thank so, you. So um, another group is called the Odd Fellows. Yes. So my, my quiz today is called Odd Fellows. Okay. Question number one. I've mentioned this weirdo before. What is the name of the modernist Irish author who hated quotation marks and whose most famous work was not, in fact, about Odysseus? Question number two. No one really knows how this mad monarch got to be the way he is, but recent theories suggest porphyria, which symptoms include convulsions, dementia, and blue urine. Name this 60-year reigning king. Question number three. Artistic odd fellow Salvador Dali was an extremely prolific creative, producing paintings, sculpture, theater, and film throughout his long career. In 1946, he took the Mickey and collaborated with what animator and film producer on the short film Destino? Question number four. Some of our loyal listeners will know for sure. Was author and eccentric Oscar Wilde born in England or Ireland? Question number five. He was certainly prolific. What was the industrious name of Andy Warhol's famous studio located in New York City? Question number six. Don't call him Steve. What mononymous singer, songwriter, and lead singer of the Smiths was famously celibate and claims to only eat bread, pasta, potatoes, and nuts? Question number seven. True or false, chess weirdo Bobby Fischer is deceased. Question number eight. In the season one episode of Flight of the Concords, Brett is haunted by the various incarnations of what recently deceased rocker, who also got an homage song in the episode, flawlessly impersonated by Jermaine Clement. Question number nine. This eccentric aerospace tycoon was also a film director and business magnate who slowly lost his mind to severe OCD and once spent four months in a darkened theater in his home, eating nothing but chocolate bars and keeping his pee in jars. Name that famously gross guy. Question number 10. I'm going to name four names and you're going to tell me if it's a child of Frank Zappa or something I made up. First, Moon Unit. Second, Diva Muffin. Third, Marrakesh Bean. 
and fourth, Dweezil. I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. so good oh good i'm so glad because i know you know some weird i know weird things yeah all right here we go question number one i've mentioned this weirdo before what is the name of the modernist irish author who hated quotation marks and whose most famous work was not in fact about odysseus that would be james joyce james joyce and his famous work was ulysses uh he was a total weird beard who was terrified of dogs and thunderstorms and kept a tiny pair of underpants in his pocket that he would put on his fingers and walk across the bar when he would uh to entertain people yeah that's your favorite thing it's my favorite piece of trivia Mm -hmm. okay question number two no one really knows how this mad monarch got to be the way he was but in recent theories suggest porphyria which symptoms include convulsions dementia and blue urine name this 60 year reigning king king george the third yes king george the third uh, Mad King George. They actually think it was actually a legit psychiatric illness now. Mm. They don't think it was porphyria. Apparently, the treatment they were giving him were these blue flower things um, that can turn your pea blue. So oh. that's why they thought... So it was actually the treatment that was turning his pea blue and not the porphyria. Wow. Either way, he was out of his mind. Okay. Question number three. Artistic oddfellow Salvador Dali was an extremely prolific creative, producing paintings, sculpture, theater, and film throughout his long career. In 1946, he took the Mickey and collaborated with what animator and film producer on the short film Destino? Who is Walt Disney? It is Walt Disney. Um, They worked for eight months on it in 1946, but then they ran out of money. (laughs) And the film was completed 48 years later in 2003. Yeah. By um, uh, Disney's nephew cool um and it was shown at various film festivals um my good friend maggie has a tattoo of an image from destino oh interesting it's very beautiful wow um it's like a it's a girl who's like jumping rope Mm -hmm. but the rope is like at the peak Mm -hmm. and at the peak of it the rope is turning into birds oh it's really beautiful it's like a huge piece on the side of her body but um yeah it's a lovely piece Question number four. Some of our loyal listeners will know for sure. Was author and eccentric Oscar Wilde born in England or Ireland? He is Irish. He is Irish. Okay, ready? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm so sorry, Ireland. I'm so sorry, Ireland. Okay, here we go. His name. His full legal name was. (laughs) Here we go. Oscar Fengal O'Flaherty Wales Wilde. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Maeve, let us know how that was. Or don't. If it was bad, don't say anything. No, tell me. I want to know. I'll take constructive criticism. I want to know. All right, here we go. 
I think it was the Fingalo Flaherty that really put me over the edge. Okay. Question number five. He was certainly prolific. What was the industrious name of Andy Warhol's famous studio located in New York City? Like the factory. It was. It was the factory. Um, it had three different locations between 1962 and 1984 when Andy Warhol died. Um, but it was always in Manhattan because he was very fashionable. It was also known as the Silver Factory mm-hmm. because Andy had one of his artist friends just cover the walls and ceiling and everything with mirrors uh, and tinfoil. So the Andy Warhol Museum is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yes. Um, and I had some friends that interned there during their library school internships. Oh, cool. And um, one of the projects they were working on is periodically Andy Warhol would take whatever was on his desk and just clear it off into a box and tape it up. And so it's called the time capsule project. So they were, they were methodically opening and cataloging all the contents of these time capsules. So maybe it's a drawing. Maybe it's a receipt from the sandwich he got. Maybe it's a condom wrapper. Maybe it's some drugs. Oh my God. You don't know that has got to be so much fun. Oh, yeah. That's like Christmas every day. You're opening up a box and like going through it and figuring oh, out what, what it is. Heck, what the, the heck did he do this time around? Yeah. So, yeah, he was... Um, That's cool. What a fun project. Yeah. I mean, what a weird guy, but what a fun yeah, what project a for guy. an archivist. Huh. <laughs> okay. Question number six. Don't call him Steve. What mononymous singer, songwriter, and lead singer of the Smiths was famously celibate and claims to only eat bread, pasta, potatoes, and nuts? Now, I know I am very bad about... Um, the Smiths in general. I don't uh-huh. really know what they sang or who who they are, but uh, I know this answer is Morrissey. It is Morrissey. Oh man, I'm going to play a Smith song for the... I love the Smiths. Every so often I get on a Smiths kick, I'll get like... They just sh- don't stick. Oh, Shoplifters of the World gets stuck in my head and I'm like, I gotta listen to their entire catalog. It's so good. Maybe I'll play Shoplifters of the World. Anyway, um, he, Morrissey, is an asshole though. Oh, yeah. he's a terrible person. He is what super does he weird. Eat again? What's he again? What does he only eat? He only eats um, bread, pasta, potatoes, and nuts. Oh, well, he, he's not getting enough. No, he's not getting he's enough not protein. vitamins. He's very weak. <laughs> um, he's a very weird and angry Bruises guy. easily. Yeah. He is also a virulent animal advocate to the point of like craziness. Oh, okay. Um, one British music magazine back in the 80s called him the Pope of Mope, which is, can I say, the British are so good at a, at nicknames. Oh, sure. At some, at oh. some uh, tabloid. Yeah. Some tabloid headline names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Question number seven. True or false? Chess weirdo Bobby Fischer is deceased. True. He's dead. True. He is dead. Uh, he died in Reykjavik in 2008 and never went back to the U.S. He was also a terrible anti-Semite and a deeply troubled person. But man, what a chess player. Um yeah, I, yeah, what a, we should do an episode on him because he was, he was fucked up. Eh. I mean, who isn't, but you know. <laughs> no, I mean, eh, like, do we really want to do a whole episode on him? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Um, There is somebody, oh, maybe it's in my next quiz for ne- mm. the next episode, but there's one that we should do. Anyway, uh, question number eight. You are killing it, by the way. <laughs> nice job. Feel great. Uh, Feels good. Loose. Great. Good. Feeling loose, feeling strong. Um. Number eight, in the season one episode of Flight of the Concords, Brit is haunted by the various incarnations of what recently deceased rocker who also got an homage song in the episode, flawlessly impersonated by Jermaine Clement. Okay, so he's recently deceased as in actually now recently deceased, actually not as in deceased. terms of the show. No, not during the it's show. It's David Bowie. It's David Bowie. That episode is so funny. Do you, do, Josh you made me it? watch it. Yeah. Oh, the episode is great. And Jermaine keeps floating in as Bowie's... I'm David As Bowie. Bowie. And he's like, I'm David Bowie from the Ashes to Ashes video. And he's just in different costumes. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's great. Okay. 
Question number nine. This eccentric aerospace tycoon was also a film director and business magnate who slowly lost his mind to severe OCD and once spent four months in a darkened theater in his home eating nothing but chocolate bars and keeping his pee in jars. Name that famously gross guy. You had me at eating chocolate bars and then you lost me at keeping his pee in jars. (laughs) Uh, That's Howard Hughes. That is Howard Hughes. Um, He also, he not only did he stay in a darkened theater for four months, um, but he was also naked with just a pink um, handkerchief over his genitals. And the reason why was because he was in a terrible accident mm-hmm. um, early on mm-hmm. in his life. And he had a lot of, he suffered a lot of nerve damage. So he had um, a nerve problem where even like the feeling of clothing on his body oh. was extremely painful. Oh my. So he was naked most of the time. It didn't um, help when he got in his wooden airplane. No, <laughs> no, the wooden airplane thing. Howard Hughes, that's the guy I think we should do an episode on. Oh, okay. I can do an episode yeah. on it. Sure. Because there's a lot of like gross details that I love and you hate. <laughs> um, this is how we figure this out, everybody. Yeah. If, it's, if it's freaky deaky, LT will take it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but it's, I only read like a little bit of it so mm-hmm. I can like write a question, but his biography is something else. Something else. Okay. Here we go. Last question. You're killing it. You're nine for nine. Question number 10. I'm going to name four names. You're going to tell me if it's a child of Frank Zappa or something I made up. Okay. Ready? Okay. Lauren, if you remember, I had an S weekly subscription uh, that's for about true. 15 years. You did have an S weekly so. subscription for, yes. And it has served you well in the past. <laughs> so I have full faith uh-huh. that you will get this. Number one, moon unit. Yes. It is his eldest it is daughter. child yes. of Frank Zappa. Second, diva muffin. No, not a Zappa. That is a Zappa. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Her name is diva muffin Zappa. She is the youngest daughter of Frank Zappa. Okay. Frank. I know. Third, Marrakesh Bean. No, not a Zappa. That's not a Zappa. That's something I made up. Okay. Four, Dweezel. Yes, that's a Zappa. That is a Zapple. It's Apple. That is a Zapple, which is Frank Zappa's strain of apples. I don't know if you knew that. Zapples. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's pretty good. I know. (laughs) We should make that. Uh, Dweezel Zappa is Frank Zappa's eldest son. He was born Ian Donald Calvin Euclid Zappa. And the reason is because the hospital wouldn't let Frank name his son Dweezel. So <laughs> they were like, no, we've no, seen, we, you've sir, been here before. We've seen this. We, we let you slide with Moon Unit. We let you slide with Diva Muffin. Dweezel, no, that is it. We're drawing the line. Apparently when Dweezel found out that that was, that he, his real name was Ian Donald Calvin Euclid Zappa. He was like, no, I'm going to change my name to Dweezel. So now he's officially Dweezel Zappa. No middle name. I know. I mean, whatever, you know. Now, his... Ready? What? Ready? What? His strain of a special corn is called Pop Goes the Dweezel. Oh, that's so good. We were doing this the other day with Mary Berry. Yeah. We were trying to come up with TV shows that Mary Berry would host. Yeah. And it was a... I think you came up with the haunted house. Yeah. the The tour of haunted houses is very scary with Mary Berry. Yep. And I said... Um, Mary Berry going on a makeover show to become a masculine sprite is Mary Berry is a hairy, hairy, hairy fairy. fairy. <laughs> it was fun. We had a great time doing that. Um, so that oh, was my quiz. So close. I know. So close. It's all right. I'll, I'll give you like a nine point 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, hey, Lauren, we have some listeners submitted trivia. Oh, lay it on me. And in fact, um, our listener, Jennifer D. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, she Jennifer. She sent us a really great email. Um, and I think earlier when I talked about the college um, college episode. Yeah. And I talked about um, some sports mascots from colleges. Um, she mentioned also that um, there's some additional trivia about Kentucky State University, the thoroughbreds and thoroughbreds, mm-hmm, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Kentucky State University is the only public um, historically black college or university in Kentucky. It's located oh. in Frankfurt, and Kentucky State University was founded in 1886 and was the second state-supported institution of higher learning established in the state. That's awesome. That's pretty progressive. Um, and then also, she wrote us a good a good question. So this is Ooh. also related to mascots. Okay, I love it. Okay. This character is a mythical good luck figure who represents things as they ought to be. Before it was adopted as the mascot of St. Louis University, it was created as a charm doll in 1908 by Florence Pretz. Mrs. Pretz's creation became a national sensation and was turned into belt buckles, auto hood ornaments, salt and pepper shakers, and more before fading into obscurity. It's not clear when this character first became linked to SLU, but one popular story is that it was adopted in approximately 1910 as the result of a resemblance between this character and then football coach John Bender. What? Can you name this? mascot i cannot name this mascot okay is it some sort of it's you said it's like a mythical creature it's um it is it's backstories it's a mythical creature but it was a charm doll okay so it's not gritty in 1908 (laughs) it's not gritty (laughs) okay a charm doll um so it's not a cupie but it was like in the same like realm okay i have no idea what this is it's a billiken what oh my gosh let me google what google what what this looks like i want to see it um I got to show yeah, I got to show you what the Billiken looks like. So anyway, the Billiken was um their their mascot now and okay. it's an elephant it's elephant like with pointed ears, a mischievous what? smile and a tuft of hair on its pointed head. Oh my god, his I hate arms it. are short and generally sitting with his legs stretched out in front of him. And they said that to buy a Billiken doll was to give the purchaser luck, but to have one given would be better luck. So, you know, okay. they just started this whole like lore around it. Um I did see this when I was coming up with the um with the quiz when I was looking at stuff mm-hmm. about the Billiken. Oh my God, Lord. Oh my God. Okay, Am this I going to be This is out? a good picture of him. What? No. That's, that's like a, isn't that like the Reddit symbol? It kind of looks like, you know what it kind of looks like? It kind of looks like the Grinch. It does look like the Grinch. But with, but with white fur instead of green yeah, it's fur. Yeah, like it's like the albino Grinch. It's, it's. That's weird. Oh my goodness. So that is St. Louis University. Thank you, Jennifer. That's yes. cool. Thank you. She did a, <laughs> she did she did a great, great job. job. She sent me like her sources. She was like, man, if we ever need an intern, oh, man. I, know who to, I knew who to call. Um, we also got from uh, a Twitter follower along the same lines mm-hmm. with the college thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, she said, Catherine, hello, Catherine. Um, she said, just listen to your college episode. Thumbs up. But why no love for... Gallaudet, Gallaudet, Gallaudet University mm-hmm. inventing the football huddle. So Gallaudet is a deaf um, college oh. in Washington D.C. So they're right by Catholic University in okay. D.C. And so, like, you have the NITD here at RIT. Yes. And then Gallaudet is the other major deaf school. Oh, I had no idea. So they invented the football huddle. Yeah. Great. Well, thank Thanks you for Catherine. sharing, Catherine. Yeah. That was good. Good to point out. That was good. Well. Thank you so much to everybody who uh, emails us our listener submitted trivia. It's always fun to get extra trivia, um, and it helps us with our pub quiz. I mean, let's oh, be honest. Oh, of course. 
Um, so if you would like to reach out and get a shout out on the podcast, um, you can email us as Jennifer did, uh, at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at as Catherine did at misinfopod. Um, you can also hit us up on our Facebook page, misinformation colon, a trivia podcast. Uh, and we also have a website, triple dub dot misinfopod.com. And you're listening to us. Thank you very much. Um, you can tell others to find us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. Please rate, review, and subscribe and tell a friend. Tell a friend. So uh, thanks for sticking with us today, guys. And stay tuned for uh, the week after next for my second installment of Secret Societies. So <laughs> Wah-ha. Wah-ha. perfectly in time for Halloween or something like that. Um, so uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.